Please turn with me in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 9 uh, this morning. Nehemiah chapter 9. How's everyone doing? It's a beautiful day today. Let's pray together. Father, we give you glory. We give you thanks. Thanks for being our dad. And that your mercies are new this morning. Thank you for your promise to restore our souls, to renew us. We pray for that refreshment in our lives. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. On Friday, we drove down as a family to Canyon City and did uh, Skyline Drive. Anybody done Skyline Drive? Well, at least Google it because you could lose your life doing Skyline Drive. It's like cliffs both sides, but it's beautiful. And after we did the drive, then we drove into uh, Florence, just outside of Canyon City, checked out some antique stores, went into a salvage store. And this one particular salvage uh, store, they're into old doors, uh, reclaimed wood. And the lady that owns uh, the shop was meticulously going through doorknobs, door hardware, those old keys, and renewing them, restoring them, reestablishing them, and, and selling them. And that really got uh, my attention because that's the work that God does in our lives. You know, so many people would just toss those door handles aside, but she saw the investment in those and how much more so that God loves us and cares for us where he will renew and he will reestablish and he will grow us in him. This section of the book of Nehemiah is really exciting because God has rebuilt uh, the wall, but now he's rebuilding the people. They had a hunger for God's word. There was an outcry saying, Ezra, would you come and teach us the, the word of God? And through that came conviction a weeping over their sin, and God's message was, this is a time of rejoicing, not a, a time of weeping. They celebrated the Feast of, of Tabernacles, and right after the Feast of Tabernacles, they move into this prayer. And in this prayer, we see God renewing them. And there's three ways we're gonna look at the way that God renews us. He renews us through confession, through worship, and remembrance. Now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting, with sackcloth, and with dust on their heads. The Feast of Tabernacles ended on the 22nd day. There's one day off, and then they're right back in it on the 24th day. And their hearts are broken over their sin. They express it outwardly through fasting, through sackcloth, and through dust on, on their heads. They're grieving and mourning over their spiritual condition. Then those of the Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and they confessed their sin and their iniquities of their fathers. There would be non-Israelites that joined the Israelites at different points and different periods, and some of those foreigners would have false gods. So them separating themselves from their foreigners shows that they want to be completely set apart from the Lord, not giving in to the influences of the world. And then they begin to confess their sin, not only their sin, but the sin of their fathers. And we're renewed through confession. Confession is to agree with God. Lord, I'm wrong. I've sinned here. Not to be in a place where we're defensive or we're blaming others. Adam and Eve, when they first sinned and God confronted them, they blamed the game, blame game, didn't they? Eve, she blamed the serpent. Adam blamed the woman 
that you gave me blamed Eve and God. And we oftentimes want to blame others for our sin, but great renewal, great restoration and being reestablished happens when instead of being defensive or blaming others, we confess our sin to the Lord. God promises that as we confess our sin that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalms 32 verse 5, David writes, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David is caught in adultery, in murder, and yet he knows as he confesses his sin to the Lord that God is able to forgive him. The book of James tells us to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another so that we could be healed. Confessing before God, opening up to a brother and sister in Christ, saying, would you pray for me? Would you pray with me? In Proverbs 28, verse 13, it says, he who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. It's a lot of work to cover our sin, isn't it? Trying to make sure that no one finds out, pretending that God doesn't know. But there's great freedom that comes in confessing our sin and bringing it to the light. Is there something that the Holy Spirit is prompting our hearts with this morning to confess our sin to God and receive that refreshment that that comes from him? They're not only confessing their sin, but also the sin of their fathers, of the nation of Israel. Every fourth Wednesday, we're setting aside the Wednesday night service for a night of prayer and worship. This Wednesday will will be that night. If you haven't come out, I would encourage you to come. It's a time for us to humble ourselves. We're we're praying individually, but we want to pray together as a church family. To confess the sin in our lives, in the church as a whole, in our land. Asking that the Lord would heal our land, that he would bring restoration. In verse 3, And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, from one-fourth of the day, and for another-fourth, they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. This is a neat pattern as we spend time in God's word to respond to it, to respond to it through confessing sin. Lord, I, I've blown it in this area, but then also to respond in worship. Lord, thanks for your forgiveness. Lord, thanks for your faithfulness uh, in my life. Sometimes we can get to the place where we get tired of confessing sin, we're like, man, I, I feel like I'm just confessing the same sin over and over again. Why, why would I continue to bring this before the Lord? Well, why do you take the trash out every week? What if you get tired of taking the trash out? I bet your trash is pretty similar week to week. Probably has a lot of the same stuff in it. Do that for six months and you're in a world of hurt. And spiritually, we're in a world of hurt if we stop keeping short accounts uh, before the Lord. In verse 4, we see a group of leaders gathered together in in prayer. Then Jeshua, Benaiah, Kadmiel, and a lot of other names. (laughs) They stood on the stairs of the Levites and crowded out to the Lord with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And the Levites are, are listed as well. So they're on the stairs with one voice in this prayer before the Lord. Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. So we're renewed through confession, but we're also renewed 
through worship. This is a call to worship. They're calling the people, stand up and bless the Lord your God. This is personal, he's your God, he's your Lord, and bless him forever. And we need that call to worship. We need to be reminded to lift our voices to God. God commands us to to sing to him. Sometimes we go, well, I don't really have a great voice or I don't like singing, I'll I'll watch someone else sing And God wants us to sing to him. There's something that happens in our soul that can't be duplicated when we worship. Probably happened to you this morning. Wasn't it nice to focus on the Lord? Not focus on ourselves? Not focus on our own struggles? To remember that Jesus is holy, that he's the Lamb of God, that he's slain for our, for our sins? And as we worship, there's this exchange that happens with the Lord where we're renewed. Those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Worship's not always based on our feelings and our emotions. Sometimes it's the sacrifice of praise. I'm gonna choose to worship right now even though I don't feel like it and my emotions are telling me something entirely different. But as we worship, the Lord meets us. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. When we speak of the name of God, it's who God is. It's his character, his nature. Your name is glorious. God, there's none like you in your power, in your holiness, in your love, and your forgiveness. And you are exalted above all praise. There are certain things in Colorado you gotta see for yourself. If I showed you a picture of Rocky Mountain National Park on my iPhone, it just doesn't do it justice. You can't get Rocky Mountain National Park perfectly represented in your phone. And all of our praise doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of God's glory. You alone are the Lord. He shares the stage with no one. There's no other gods besides him. You made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts. God's creative power. He made the atmosphere, but also the galaxies, the stars. It's estimated in the Milky Way galaxy alone that there's 100,000 million stars. It's a huge number. But they estimate that there's two trillion galaxies. It wasn't difficult for God to create these stars. And he actually has named them, called them by name, specifically these stars. The earth and everything on it. He's created the earth. He's created everything on the earth. The seas and all that is in them. God has created the the ocean and all that is in the ocean. And we have so much more knowledge of what lives in the ocean compared to Ezra and Nehemiah. And aren't sea creatures just amazing? You got the sea anemones, the starfish, all of the different types of sharks and whales and, and dolphins. It's just endless of God's creative power that's been displayed in the seas. And you preserve them all. (laughs) This is God's sustaining power. His ability to hold all things together, to hold his creation together. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name Abraham. We shift from Renewal from remembrance, or renewal from worship to renewal through remembrance. Now they're remembering the way that God was faithful to the children of Israel begins with with Abraham. I'd encourage you this morning to go down the road of remembrance. To remember how God has been faithful in your life. 
God's story uh, in your life. In between services, I, I met a guy from Southern Oregon, and we actually went to the same high school. He was like five years younger than me and had the same basketball coach, and it kind of took me back for a minute. Took me back like, whoop. I was like, man, God, you were, you were faithful. You are faithful all, all the way back then and in my life. So think about God's faithfulness in your life. Abram, who God changed his name to Abraham, God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees to a land that he would show him. He didn't know where he was going. It was a journey of faith. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Persites, the Jebusites, and the Outasites. To give it to his descendants, you've performed your words, for you are righteous. God said of Abraham, you have a faithful heart. What was it about Abraham's heart that got God's attention? It was his faith. Not perfect. Abraham was not perfect, but he had faith and he trusted in the promises of God. And God said, I'm going to give you the land of Canaan to your descendants. In verse 9, you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. The children of Israel were slaves in Egypt and God heard their cry. And God hears our, our cry. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all of his servants, against all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted proudly against them. So you made a name for yourself as it is this day. Pharaoh hardened his heart, would not let the children of Israel go. Eventually, God confirmed that decision, and he hardened Pharaoh's heart as well. Signs and wonders, the plagues that God put upon Egypt, and God proclaimed a name for himself. He showed himself strong in delivering the children of Israel out of Egypt and out of bondage. You divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on the dry land. When God does things, he does them in an amazing fashion. They get to walk across the Red Sea on dry land. The Red Sea's in front of them, Pharaoh's behind them, God parts the Red Sea. They're not walking in the mud, they're walking on dry ground. God must have just got out of his big holy hair dryer, right? Like, whoa, this is awesome. Talk about an aquarium experience. As they're walking through the Red Sea and like checking out all of the the sea creatures that, that are there. And their persecutors you threw into the deep as a stone into the mighty waters. Pharaoh decided he and his army would chase the children of Israel into the, the Red Sea. God collapsed the water upon them and destroyed Pharaoh and his army. Pharaoh is a picture of our sinful nature that we were in bondage to. And through what Christ has done for us, being buried with Christ and risen in newness of life. The, the old man has been defeated. Our sinful nature has been defeated in our lives. Moreover, you led them by fire, or you led them by day with a cloudy pillar, and by night with a pillar of fire, to give them light on the road which they should travel. We're studying this in detail in the book of Numbers on Wednesday night. We're going through the Bible, Genesis uh, to Revelation. This cloud would lead them. When the cloud would move, they would move. In the Psalms, it tells us that they walked under the cloud. Wouldn't you? Hot wilderness. God provided shade to lead them and to be able to protect them. And then a pillar of fire by night to provide warmth. In order to follow God in this fashion, 
They had to be patient and flexible. And God leads us through his presence and his peace and his provision, but we've gotta be patient and flexible. It's not on our timing. I'm sure there's times where the cloud's moving and they're like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not ready to move right now. This isn't a convenient time. And sometimes God leads that way. Like, really? Right now? God's like, yep, right now. Here's the open door. Let's go. But then there's other times where the cloud's just stuck, just hovering in the same place. And we're waiting and saying, man, there's no provision to move forward. There's no peace to move forward. So it requires patience and, and flexibility. Verse 13, you came down also from Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses, your servant. God was gracious to give his commands to him, to give the feast to them, to give the Sabbath to them. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst and told them to go in to possess the land which you have sworn to them. Manna from heaven every day, except for on the Sabbath. Water from the rock, God's supernatural care for them. Here's their response to God's goodness. But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their hearts, and did not heed your commandments. They respond in pride, hardness of heart, and disobedience. And God says, you're like a stiff neck. Every once in a while, my neck gets stiff. It's so, so painful. My driving turns to this. All right. It's like, oh, that must be Pastor Eric. He can't, can't look left, right? I think it's part of being tall. Sometimes when you're talking to a, a shorter person, you're like, let me get down here on your level. I just, I, so you're, <laughs> it's your guys' fault, really. <laughs> but God says, Eric, you're being like a stiff neck. You're, you're not flexible. You're, you're unwilling to yield. And that was the condition of the heart for the, the children of Israel. They refused to obey. They were not mindful of your words that you did among them. It was a choice that, that they made. What they thought about is really important. Our thoughts are, are really important and to meditate upon, to remember God's wonderful works, what Jesus has, has done for us, who he is in our lives. But they hardened their necks and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. They didn't believe that God could defeat the giants, bring them into the promised land. So they actually appointed a new leader to take them back to, to Egypt at one point in their journey. But notice God's response. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. God had every right to say, you guys are into idolatry, you're unthankful, you're rebellious, I'm just going to let you die in the wilderness. But God was ready to forgive. Is this how you picture God, that he's ready to forgive? We know how hard it is to forgive when someone has hurt us or offended us. Oftentimes, we're not ready to forgive, but God is ready. As we confess our sin, as we, as we turn from sin, then, then he's ready to pardon. He's ready to forgive. He's gracious 
through the person and work of Jesus Christ. He, he doesn't give us the judgment that we deserve, but he lavishes unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor in our lives. God is showing his grace to the children of Israel, and, and throughout our lives, he's shown us grace. He pursues us with his kindness. His mercy is not giving us the judgment that we deserve. Oftentimes, I think we picture God not in light of, of who he is. Our Father's abundant in kindness, abundant in kindness, not, not a small amount of kindness, but our Heavenly Father's abundant in kindness. And yes, he will bring judgment, and he will bring wrath to those that reject Christ, but he's slow. He's slow to, to anger. He's slow to bring that judgment. He doesn't want any to perish, and he chose not to forsake the children of Israel. Even when they made a, a molded calf for themselves and said, this is your God that brought you up out of Egypt and worked great provocations. How frustrating. They're giving glory to an idol that they've crafted with their own hands for something that God had done. But yet God, in your manifold mercies, yet in your manifold mercies, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light and, they, and the way they should go. You'd think maybe God, for a couple of days, would just turn off the manna to get their attention. <laughs> you guys are being turkeys. You got hard hearts. You're, you're being rebellious. Okay, here's, here's no, no manna for you. But God continued his care for them. He continued his provision for them. You also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you've sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Amazing to journey in the wilderness for 40 years and not have your clothes wear out. This is a good pair of chacos right here, right? And your feet didn't even swell. God's grace and his, his care for them. Moreover, you gave them kingdoms and nations and divided them into districts. So they took possessions of the land of Shihon, the land of the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. These are victories outside of the promised land that God gave to them on the other side of the Jordan. You also multiplied their children as the stars of heaven and brought them into the land, which you had told their fathers to go in and possess. So the people went in and possessed the land. You subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land that they might do with them as they wished. This is the time of Joshua, the book of Joshua, when God brought them into the promised land in such a, a powerful way, and they inhabited the promises of God. And they took strong cities and a rich land and possessed houses full of all goods, cisterns already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance, so they ate and were filled and grew fat, and they delighted themselves in your goodness. They were able to take homes that they didn't build, vineyards that they didn't plant, wells that they didn't dig. God did this for them in their grace. This reminds me of God blessing us with the Elcott campus out east. 
we were praying about, Lord, what were some steps of faith that you would want us to, to have? And we never dreamed of Ellicott. And that church had been closed down for some time, several years, six or, or seven years. But there was two widows that took care of the church meticulously. They would come in once a week and they would vacuum and they would clean and they would dust to where when we checked out the church, it literally looked like the rapture had happened like in 1994. There was hymnals in the pews, the children's ministry was all ready to go, there was stuff in the little kitchen in, in the basement. And they had had a heart to see a, a church come in and use this building for God's glory kept the asking price really high so that when private individuals came in, they'd be discouraged to, to buy the property. And so they sold the, the building to the church for $100,000. We were able to pay in cash, no mortgage on, on that uh, facility. Then they went and gave that $100,000 to missions. They wanted some money to, to be able to give to missions. But there were families that labored out there to build that building. We didn't labor to, to build that building. Just able to walk in and use it. There's about 100 adults that are coming, 30 to 40 kids that, that come every Sunday, 15 to, to 20 teens. Uh, right now, there's six ladies out there that are expecting. <laughs> so the nursery's uh, growing and exploding. The, the nursery is really small. So we're looking to renovate it and make it, you know, more inviting to, to infants. When we went to closing on that uh, campus, the widow that was doing the, the signing said, I, I haven't told you this yet, but the church has really good water rights. The well is down into the aquifer. They don't allow you to drill wells that deep anymore. The most valuable thing to that three acres is the, the water rights. If she had made that known, that property would have sold a long time ago. Uh, the church has endless access to water for free because of, of the water rights. And that's something that God has given to us. You know, I guess there's something out there in the water resulting in the pregnancies. I don't know. <laughs> but it's such a blessing to see God work and to pour out living water. We didn't labor for it. It was just God's, God's grace that he blessed us with and that's what God did for the children of Israel in a much greater way but notice their response nevertheless they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself and they worked great provocations God desires to reach us with his kindness with his goodness but that wasn't case for the children of Israel they continued to walk in rebellion Therefore you delivered them into the hand of their enemies who oppressed them. And in the time of their trouble, when they cried out to you, you heard from heaven. And according to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers who saved them from the hand of their enemies. The time of the judges. They would turn from God. God would allow them to be taken by other nations that would put them under oppression. Eventually the pain became great enough where they cry out to the Lord and God was gracious to raise up deliverers. But after they had rest, notice that, they again did evil before the Lord. Therefore, you left them in the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven and many times you delivered them according to your mercies and testified against them that you might bring them back to your law law yet they acted proudly 
and did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they shrugged their shoulders, stiffened their necks, and would not hear. Yet for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit and your prophets, yet they would not listen. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the people of the lands. So this is the time of the kings and the chronicles and the prophets. Leading up to them going into captivity, God warned them, if you continue in this path, you're going to be taken out of the land. And that's what happened in 486 BC. They were taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar, but yet God still did not give up on them. Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them nor forsake them, for you are God, gracious and merciful. Aren't you so thankful that God's grace and mercy is greater than our sin? And we can look back at our failures before knowing the Lord, our, our sin as believers, but yet God is gracious, but yet God is, is merciful. Now, therefore, our God, the great and mighty, the awesome God who keeps covenant and mercy, do not let all the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us. Our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers, and on all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until this day. What are they doing in this prayer? God, you've been faithful. We've been unfaithful. And they're bringing their current mess before the Lord. Do we have a, a current mess to bring before the Lord? God, I'm remembering your faithfulness in my life, but unfortunately, here I am. Here's my brokenness. Here's my sin. Here, here's how I need your help. Here's the distress that I'm in. However, you are just in all that has befallen us, for you have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. God, you're just. We're the ones who are in wickedness. Neither our kings, nor our princes, our priests, nor our fathers have kept your law, nor heeded your commands and your testimonies, which you have testified against them. For they have not served you in their kingdom or in the many good things that you gave them, or in the large and rich land which you set before them, nor did they turn from their wicked works. Here we are, servants today, and the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty. Here we are, servants in it. So God, by your grace, you brought us back into the land, and we're enjoying the fruit of the land again. And it yields much increase to the kings, you have set over us because of our sins. Also, they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle at their pleasure, and we are in great distress. So even though they're in the land, they still have those ruling over them, and they're in great distress. And because of all of this, we make a covenant and write our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. And we'll study this next week as we look at their rededication to the Lord. Reflecting on God's mercy and grace and goodness and kindness led them to a place of saying, God, we want to be dedicated afresh to you. What are you looking to for renewal in your life? We're, we're going to look to, to something, to, to someone for a renewal, and is it the Lord? I think that we're probably all under more stress than we even realize. I was talking with a friend a few weeks ago, and he was expressing how stressful this last year has been, just he and his wife having to make so many more decisions for their family and for uh, their kids. 
you've probably had to face more decisions in this last year than you would normally make in, in four or five years. There's challenges in our country that are taking place. There's tension that's there. Everything that has taken place and is taking place with the, the pandemic, there's stress. There's a need for renewal. And it's not like all of the normal challenges of life have taken a sabbatical. Wouldn't it be nice if your car's like, hey, I know it's a difficult time, so I'm not going to break down. <laughs> You've still had to get groceries. You still had to pay bills. There's, there's health challenges. There's diagnoses. All, all of these things that encompass a, of life. And God promises us renewal. He says that our outward man is perishing, but our inward man is renewed day by day. If we choose to plug into the Lord. Psalms 23, that our shepherd makes us lie down for the purpose of restoring our soul. He leads us into green pastures by still waters so that he can restore us, so that he can renew us. Picture the lady in Florence, Colorado, cleaning, scrubbing, spending all of this time on an old door handle so she can sell it for $10. Hours of work to, to get her $10 for that door handle. She sees some value in that material. How much more so does God love you and desire to restore your soul? Have you been looking to your families to try to renew you? Ultimately, they can't. Have you been looking to your job? Have you been looking to the ministry that God has called you to do? Possessions can't satisfy. The Lord is our, our portion. He's our source of renewal. Sometimes we look to sinful things to try to cause us to feel alive inside, but it's the Lord. And come to him this morning in, in confession. If there is that conviction from the Lord, God, I'm going to be honest with you. Come before him and worship, even in this last song, and, and worship the Lord. Worship doesn't have to stop when the service is done. Instead of being on that treadmill of complaining, we can choose one of, of thanksgiving. Take some time today in remembrance. God, you were faithful here. You were faithful here. Oh, I remember my unfaithfulness, but God, you were faithful, and allow the Lord to renew you. I believe that God is doing this work in our lives. He, he's renewing us. There's something happening spiritually that's really exciting. I don't know if you've noticed, but our worship times are deeper. They're richer. They're more meaningful. We're, we're expressing our love to God in a different way as a, as a church family. I'm watching God wake up his church, and it's beautiful. It's difficult times that we're in, but I wonder five years from now, if the rapture of the church hasn't happened, if we're going to look back and go, man, God, you used that difficult time in our country and throughout the world to bring us closer to you and renew us. There's a tremendous spiritual renewal that's happening in the nation of Israel. And I think there's a renewal that's happening in, in our lives as well. We're seeing the importance of a relationship with God. We're seeing the importance of truth. We're seeing the importance of being in relationship with one another. We're seeing the importance of having a heart for, for lost souls. And so God is doing that work of renewal. Would you stand with me and let's pray together.
Father, we do thank you that you renew us, that you restore us. You know our hearts, you know our weariness, you know our discouragement. And we do ask that you would renew us as we confess and worship and remember. We pray specifically for those that are just at a point where they feel like giving up. They don't see a way forward. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the way. And we do desire that your goodness and your kindness would lead us to want to walk with you. So Lord, would you bring fruit in our lives in Jesus' name, amen.